Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Mum's got an x-ray of us curled around each other in the womb and when we put those rocks down under the Cruz de Fierro cross, our rocks wrapped around each other just like they did in our mother's womb. That's one of this week's guests, Jackie James. Jackie and her twin Kylie walked the Camino de Santiago to celebrate their 50th birthday. We'll meet Kylie and Jackie in a moment. But first, this is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a pilgrimage, or more accurately, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. If you headed out your door today, on a promise to walk every step of every Camino, you'd be looking at walking more than 80,000 kilometres. And I can imagine people all over the world saying, yep, sign me up. (laughs) So if you walked 25 kilometres a day, That's about 3,200 days, so give or take here or there, roughly 10 years. Off you go. (laughs) El Camino de Santiago translates as the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. Known as James the Stronger, Santiago was the first Christian martyr, beheaded by King Herod not long after Christ's death. His followers took his remains from the Holy Land, placed them in a stone boat, and sailed them through the Straits of Gibraltar into the Atlantic Ocean, eventually arriving on the shores of the Spanish territory of Galicia. And he was buried in a field, and his tomb was discovered by a shepherd 800 years later. The Spanish built a majestic cathedral to house his remains, and a city around that cathedral, Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. Pilgrims from all around the world have walked to the cathedral for more than a thousand years, The Camino is a well-worn journey. The most popular route winds its way from St. Jean-Pied-de-Port in France over the Pyrenees to Spain and west to Santiago de Compostela. It's called the French Way or the Camino Frances. There are dozens of other Caminos. You can walk from Madrid, from Seville, from Acruña, from Bilbao, from Oviedo, from Portugal, from France, from Italy, from just about anywhere. In Europe. And as you may have heard a few weeks ago on the podcast, you can walk from Jerusalem. On each of those Caminos, there are variants, paths off the beaten track to explore, paths less travelled. Perhaps as pilgrims or future pilgrims, we are seeking a life path less travelled. Perhaps as pilgrims or future pilgrims, we are seeking a simpler life, a few belongings on our back and a chance to wander afar, to wander and to wonder, to search, to believe, to hope. To use some of the collective energy of those who have walked before us to urge us on, to take this opportunity to spread goodwill, to promote the goodness in the world, to share, to care, to be a spiritual brother or a spiritual sister. What are your next steps going to bring to the world? One of the great gifts of pilgrimage is the fellowship of pilgrims all around the world. You will meet and walk with people from all corners of the globe. It's a true joy, a wonderful gift, helping the world spin with our collective spirit to see where that collective spirit takes us. And what would it mean if it was a birthright plan mapped out for us from our first breath? Christina Rossetti was a British poet who lived in the mid to late 1800s, and she wrote, For there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather to cheer one on the tedious way, 
to fetch one if one goes astray, to lift one if one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands. How family and sisters enrich the world. I'm recording this podcast in Sydney, Australia, a wide brown land, an enormous continent spread from coast to coast, from rainforest to desert, from beautiful ranges to sweeping flood-laden plains. My guests this week are twins. Kylie Fisher and Jackie James walked the Camino a few years ago to celebrate their 50th birthday. They're on the line. Welcome, pilgrims. Hi, Dan. Good morning, Dan. Kylie, I'm going to start with you. Let's set up the story before we get to the Camino. You were raised in the country town of Dubbo in central western New South Wales. It's about five hours from Sydney for our international listeners. It's rough and ready country. So what was life like for you as children? The town had a population, I think, at the time of roughly 30,000 people, which we'd actually originally started at a very small town called Stewarttown, which only had a population of about 50 people and was surrounded by farmland. Uh, We moved to Dubbo when we were about five. Uh, Dubbo was a very um, simple um, town. It was very relaxed, a lot of country people. Most people knew each other. It was a safe town. No one locked their doors. No one locked the cars. Um, yeah, everyone sort of knew each other and it was a very quite a, a simple existence, I suppose. It was very families used to do a lot of activities together. It was a sporty town, so many children got involved in sport and um, it had good schools. Often they were just public schools, but they were good schools. And, yeah, life was pretty free and easy, really. And, and I'll stay with you, Kylie. Did, were your parents farmers or did you live in town? Um, our father was a farmer. Um, I think he was third-generation farmer. Right. And when we were born, we lived on this little farm. But um, it was very difficult for our parents. Droughts took their toll. Mm. They had four very young daughters, four under five to raise. And I think they sort of felt that there'd be more opportunities by moving um, from the farm into Stewart Town. And when we moved into the town, our father got a job still connected with the land. He was driving trucks, carting stock, mainly cattle and sheep. It's a tough life on the land. I know that life myself. But Jackie, to you, you graduated from high school. You were the first female identical twins to join the police force in New South Wales. And after graduating, you were both posted to Sydney. What was life like then? Well, for us, it was very interesting. As police officers, it was a really good place to be stationed because you had such an array of um, jobs that you would come across and different cultures that we were we experienced for the first time in our lives. And uh, if you get posted sort of in a country area, the policing's clearly going to be a lot different. Um, for us being twins in the police, it was good because we could be stationed near each other but and live together but not actually uh, be in the same station. So that was an advantage for us. But we, uh, it was a very big op- eye-opener moving to Sydney from the country town. And being a, a, a police officer, I imagine, has its challenges. Um, 
we might fast forward a few years, Kylie, you might answer, you move further out west to Burke and even further again to a remote cattle station. Jackie moved to the mid-north coast of New South Wales. So Kylie, firstly, what was it like to be living apart after all those years? I think for me, I arrived out on our cattle stations, basically if you land at Sydney and head roughly a 1,000 kilometres west, we're really in the middle of nowhere. Um, our closest neighbour is half an hour away. Gosh. So when I first arrived here, I, I yeah, I first arrived and um, my husband and I had actually been married for two years but we'd not lived together as husband and wife because I still had my career and he was um, busy working on the station. So when our first child was born, um, I packed up and moved out. I was on my maternity leave and took some long service leave. We really at that point didn't know what we are going to do, but when I arrived here, we'd just finished building a new home, just a kit home, and um, it was summer and summer out here often reaches um, 50 degrees. It's a very hot um, arid area. So I arrived and we had no air conditioning. A phone hadn't been connected yet because it has to be connected a different way. Um, we had no TV because to get a TV also has to have a special satellite. Uh, there's no mobile service here. Um, most people on the stations that surround us that are all sort of about half an hour to an hour's drive away um, have UHF radios as a way of communicating and we didn't even have one of those yet. So I sort of arrived here and I think within three days I had the house unpacked and I learnt that um, my husband was not only married to me but married to the land and he was away a lot and out of the house. So I'd literally sit here with no way of communicating with anybody, nursing my little baby. And I think I dreadfully missed being able to contact my twin just for our daily chats. Um, throughout our entire lives, we've made contact almost every day, whether it be by telephone or social media now that that's available. So it was a very isolating and different lifestyle that I had to try and adjust to. Jackie, my little brother and sister are twins um, and they featured in a television documentary when they were very little. The reporter asked my sister, what's it like to be a twin? And she sort of surprised us all. They were very little. And she said, it's like being married from the day you were born. I guess that's a little left field for same-sex twins, but I imagine it's pretty close to the mark, Jackie. Yeah, we often say our poor husbands, they didn't marry one twin, they married, well, one woman, <laughs> they married both. And <laughs> having a twin relationship, it's like you're actually sort of having an extramarital affair because you're always cheating on your relationship with your twin with the relationship with your partner. Wow. And there's always that little bit of guilt because if I'm giving my twin too much time, I'm not giving my husband too much time. And, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic for twins. And there's been plenty of relationships over the years that have ended because the spouse hasn't been able to deal with the relationship that the twins have. Yeah, how fascinating. So, Jackie, I'm sure there are advantages and disadvantages to being a twin. What's an advantage? An advantage? Oh, I have a walking, talking 
organ donor available <laughs> at the ready. <laughs> so that's a good one. Um, uh, what other advantages? Oh, lots of things. We had double the size wardrobe growing up as kids. Um, you never have to, you experience milestones with someone. So, for example, going to the police academy, most uh, cadets turned up on their own. They didn't know anyone. And we turned up together and um, we had each other just to give each other the moral support. And on the very first day at the academy, the old grumpy sergeant at the desk said, uh, sisters, and we said, yes, twins. And he said, one's fat and one's ugly. Here are your room keys. <laughs> and <laughs> What? <laughs> That was the start of our police academy career and uh, we still don't know which description fitted which one better, but that was a toughening up. <laughs> Day one process of the toughening up, but we had each other to have a bit of a laugh about that and, and get into it. So if you're on your own, you would have been a bit shocked by that, I suppose, but that's, a, that's another advantage. Yeah. That, that, you know, um, that's something we share because I too was a policeman. I know, yes, yeah, in Queensland. Yeah. yeah, I was a Queensland policeman. We were the second last year of cadets. There was only one more year of cadets after us and then they, they, they don't have cadets anymore. We lived in for 18 months. We lived at the academy for 18 months. How long were you there? We were there for three months at the police academy right. in Goulburn. Right. And then you wait for 12 months as a probationary constable and then we went back for uh, to the old police academy at Redfern right. and we did more months there during what they called our secondary training. Oh, amazing. So that's Jackie and the advantages of being a twin. Kylie, what's a disadvantage? I get the hard one. Um, look, I've often said that growing up, people intentionally or not compare you. And I think people have got to remember that although we look identical and we have a lot of similar interests um, and things like that, we're two different individuals and we both have our own souls. And I think people intentionally or not used to compare us and sometimes you'd feel that comparison. But even for like parents of twins, I think it's very important to try and ensure that your twins are get a chance to be an individual. I know, for example, our mother always dressed us the same until we were sort of about five or six and then gave us the choice of whether we wanted to wear the same or not. And for a while there we did. And then all of a sudden, I think when we sort of started to get to about 10, we decided to wear our hair differently and one part of their hair at the side and one in the middle. And although looking back, it was quite ridiculous, we still looked exactly the same, but we felt that it gave us a bit of a unique identity. And, um, yeah, I think it's important just for parents of twins to do that because sometimes being compared all the time can put extra pressure on you as a person and doesn't give you the chance to grow and be who you're supposed to be on your own. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should tell my listeners that we are talking via Zoom today and both Jackie and Carly are wearing black <laughs> black tops and they've got their hair exactly the same way and I'm telling you, they are absolutely identical. It's amazing. I'm looking at you here. Um, I want to fast forward now to 2018 and you decided to walk the Camino to celebrate your 50th birthday. Kylie, where did the idea come from? 
We were in the middle of a really, really bad drought. Um, I was completely drained physically, mentally, spiritually, and I was really down. And I woke up early one morning and like many pilgrims before me, I turned on the TV and happened to see the movie The Way. And I don't know, I've heard other pilgrims say this, that you feel like you receive a sign or you get a call to do the Camino, but I just all of a sudden just felt this sudden urge that I had to do this walk. And I've never travelled overseas before, Um, unlike Jackie, who's been very fortunate to have many overseas trips. So it all seemed quite weird that I was actually thinking I've got to do this. And then only about probably a week later I came in and there was a documentary on the Camino and I'd never seen or heard about it. And for me it was a sign that was it. I thought, no, this is meant to be. So I asked my husband, would he do the Camino with me? And he laughed and (laughs) said, no way, he wouldn't do it. And um, I was telling my twin about it and she suggested um, let's do it for our 50th birthday, which was at that time two years, yeah, because I'd seen the movie in 2016. So we decided in two years' time in 2018 that we'd walk the Camino together. So, Jackie, Kylie wrote to me, Uh, a few weeks back to say that you hoped the Camino would give you a chance to reconnect as sisters and as twins. But did you have a sense that you'd drifted apart? Look, we live two days drive away from each other and we only see each other in person probably once, maybe twice a year. And that's usually at a funeral or a wedding, which is very strange when we grew up in each other's pockets our entire lives. So when we did it, I just thought, um, let's see how we go and, and do it. And I, I wanted to see how much uh, the nurture part, you would have heard the term nature and nurture with twins. Well, nurture is the environmental factors that are in, in your life and our environments are so different. So we wanted to see how much that environment had changed us and whether we were still as close as we were back when we were children. Even though we speak every single day on the telephone, it's a different closeness than seeing each other in person, I think, anyway. So let me stay with you then, Jackie. Uh, Well, what did you find? Well, we definitely have changed (laughs) a lot, (laughs) but we're still the same. And... um, Kylie will laugh. Um, every single morning I'd be up ready to go. I mean, I'm used to living, having, like when I raise my children, I'd have to have three children off at preschool, daycare, school before my workday even commenced. Um, so I'm used to living my life by a clock um, and time and meetings, etc. And Kylie did uh, school of the air or distance education with her children. Yeah. So her school, her life was very different than mine. And uh, so Kylie would get up every morning and she'd have a smoke or two and chat to people walking past and I'd be looking at my clock thinking, what are we doing? Come on, let's get going. And I was always about 200 metres in front of her, just giving that push along, (laughs) but telling her to get going. But it was good because by the end of the Camino, I relaxed a lot more and we relaxed into a routine together. 
And we certainly, if any relationship has an extended period apart, armed forces would know this. Um, lots of people, if you've had to be separated for, for whatever reason, you have to work on that relationship when you come back together again. And we were no different. Um, on, on about day three, I think it was, Kylie, we had this almighty Barney in the middle of the street. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie wanted to have something to eat. And I yelled back at her and I said, everything's shut because you take too, so long to get here. By the time we'd get to a town, siesta had already started <laughs> and everything closed and we'd missed it. So we got into a bit of a routine there later and, and we worked out how to get to a place and have a meal before everything shut up shop. But, um, yeah, it was good. We, we've, I think we realised that we've changed, but it's, it doesn't matter um, that we have changed because we're still with strong, independent women on our own, but we've still got this connection that no one would ever be able to get in between us. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine, Kylie, this wonderful opportunity to go on an adventure together. 50 years you've been together. Now let's go on an adventure together. I felt so privileged to be over there and I remember when we arrived at Burgos, I walked in there and I limped in might be the better term, I limped in and um, I remember looking around and just being amazed at the the ancient buildings and the colour and the people and I, I stood in the square and just literally took it all in and I've never felt so privileged in my life to be able to be there doing the Camino, but not only doing it, but doing it with my twin. It um, it wow. was an amazing feeling just standing there that day, yeah. Yeah. So for my listeners from around the world, if you're wondering uh, where Kylie is from, it's you don't get much more remote than a 1,000 kilometres directly west of Sydney. It's It's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you are... You are really remote and you are really isolated. So I'm just picturing you, Kylie, standing in the square in front of that magnificent cathedral in Burgos. It must have been like a dream. It was a dream. And, like, I'd never, ever imagined that I would have that opportunity. And, honestly, it was so surreal for me. Um, to be able to do that. And I remember saying to Jackie, it's just amazing. And she said, I said, oh, look at all the houses and the way they set up. And she said, oh, that's right, you haven't seen this before. And it reminded me of how contrasting our lives are because, you know, our finances are very different to my sister's and she's been fortunate enough to be able to be in a position to be able to do more travelling. And it just reminded me, oh, gosh, our lives are just so different. But, like, one minute I'm in the middle of this terrible drought-ravaged middle of Australia and the next minute I'm standing over there, it was just amazing. <laughs> Absolutely just loved it. I, I just loved it. It was great. Yeah, of course. And and you wrote to me, Kylie, to say the Camino is the one place in the world, and this is your, your quote, that I can say I felt truly alive. Why? I did. I did. I, I think I just... I was on my own. I didn't have the pressures of life, the kids, my husband. It's the usual thing. I know I'm the cog in our family wheel and my husband will agree. And 
that wheel was starting to sort of stiffen up. I said I felt like a wilted flower and I was, you know, when you see a dried flower in your garden and it's just looking a bit sad and it's starting to droop a little bit, that's how I felt. And all of a sudden I was over there and I could gradually, it was like someone was just gently putting a bit of fertiliser on me and lifting me up. And, yeah, I was selfish. I I had this selfish time just for me and I think because everything, all the business of life and the stresses, I just cut cut them all out of my mind and thought just enjoy this experience. But, um, yeah, I think that's why, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jackie, to you then, being identical twins on the Camino, did you have an identical experience? Well, it's funny, Dan, walking with Kylie, I think walking, I I couldn't have thought of anybody else in the world I would have wanted to do the Camino with if I walk with someone because we've got the same uh, Christian beliefs, the same morals, the same values. If we saw someone that needed a hand, we both just, instinctively mm. knew we needed mm. to help that person. Lovely. Um, yeah. If um, we saw something funny, we would laugh together. Um, we made friends together. We confused a lot of people because often I was a couple of kilometres ahead of Kylie <laughs> and then I would pass them and then Kylie would pass them and they'd think, didn't you just pass me two kilometres away? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Up an hour ago or something. So we did. We we made a lot of friends because we were twins, actually. And that was one thing I was worried about, Dan, walking the Camino with my twin. I didn't know whether my twin relationship would be a distraction on the Camino and would take away um, the um, the Camino experience would, would be drawn away from the other pilgrims if I would be focusing on my relationship with my twin and not the other pilgrims. But, in fact, I think it did the opposite. It drew pilgrims to us. Um, People we were hearing along the way saying, oh, you're the Aussie twins. We've heard about you and all this sort of stuff. And um, so it was good. It drew people to us rather than push them away on the Camino, really. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. And I I suppose... um, in many ways, being identical twins, you have an insight into what the other is experiencing. Um, would that be fair, Carly? Would that, would that be a fair assumption? I mean, you kind of know you you know each other so well that you'd 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 have a, a very good insight into what the other person is going through. Yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. We yeah. are just so alike. I mean, we've had our DNA tested. Um, to see how identical we are. And it, it said that our DNA test said that we were 99.999998% identical. So that would explain how similar we are through our DNA. And we are just so alike. So I think, like, for example, if we're walking and one of us felt a bit unsafe at a situation, we instinctively knew the other one was feeling the same thing. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So so let me stay with you, Kylie. What change did you see in Jackie on the Camino? Jackie, um, I think she more or less said that a bit earlier. Jackie's always busy, busy, busy. Yeah, right. Um, I think we're both sort of we've both probably got unconfirmed OCD and ADHD, but <laughs> Jackie's even got that even more. Um, and I could see Jackie 
slow down because she, she always has a go at me because I've got that bit of a relaxed country way about me. Right. And, yeah, I noticed that Jackie did slow down and she seemed to relax and just, yeah, enjoy the moment more rather than rush, rush, rush. Like right from day one she was rush, rush, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm going, it's all right, you know. <laughs> like, and, um, yeah, but I saw her slow down. But equally too, she got me to probably pick up my pace a little bit as well because if I'd done the Camino probably the way I wanted to, I could be still over there. Yeah. <laughs> and, Jackie, what about you? What change did you see in Kylie? Well, I think, again, for her to have that experience, and I don't think a lot of people would understand where my sister lives and how isolated she is. If they get injured, the Royal Flying Doctor Service is who comes out to help them. Yeah. Um, and, and things like that. She's so isolated. And it's like a parent watching a little toddler experience something for the first time and that joy you have within you watching someone experience something for the first time, even the different foods. Kylie was a crack up eating different foods um, because she's never eaten a lot of different foods. They eat very basic food out there because of getting food to where they are is difficult. So just watching her come alive within the Camino and while she was on the Camino. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah, that's amazing. We, we, we talked there about change um, and I want to stay on that theme of change. We talked earlier about living in different parts of the country. I don't think you could get much further apart in Australia in terms of distance but also culture um, between Sawtell and west of Burke. Jackie, to you, did some of that change or the point of difference evaporate on the Camino? No, I don't think it ever does evaporate because it's such a big part of me now. I've lived by the beach because I live by the beach. We've lived by the beach now for 30 years and Kylie's out there. I just think the Camino... um, it emphasised the differences between us, um, walking day to day and watching each other with scrutiny every day but not being judgmental in any way, Hmm. but it it did emphasise the difference. But, no, I didn't see, it didn't really change me in that regard. It just slowed me down a lot like it does a lot of people on the Camino. It was lovely to just be with my twin and without children and husbands and jobs and all that sort of stuff and just nurture our um, our relationship as twins because it had been neglected really for a long time in a face-to-face way anyway. We're, we're always there for each other over the phone, obviously. Yeah. And as I've always said, my unqualified life coach or therapist, <laughs> I think it just emphasised the differences between us, yeah. You know... Um... Earlier, uh, Kylie mentioned, this is to my listeners, I'm talking now, um, that often it will get to 50 degrees. Those of you who operate on Fahrenheit, um, that's 122 degrees. (laughs) So it gives you some sort of snapshot of what it's like uh, where you live. Kylie, you wrote to me to say there are many books on raising twins, but no autobiographies from twins giving their perspective conveyed by telling the story, the their story, the good, the bad and the ugly from birth to their 50th birthdays. So if you've written Reef and Beef, 
the reef being the coast where Jackie lives, the beef being the land where you're based. So, Jackie, uh, let's pick up the story here. Kylie wrote to say nature and nurture has had many effects on us, both as individuals and twins. You mentioned it just earlier, nature and nurture. What exactly does that mean? Well, the nurture part is the environmental part uh, of your upbringing and the the nature part is your um, genetics, that type of it. So that, that part of you is, is the genetic part. And there's been often studies on how much this affects twins. There's um, twins that have been separated from birth and they've come back together again and they've found each other somehow and they've got the same names. They've married the same wives with the same name. Um, they had the same pet's name. Um, and there's lots of twins that have the same career. We're not unique in that way. We just happen to be the first female twins to join the police together, the New South Wales police together. But um, most, there are a lot of twins that have the same careers. And you have to wonder what part of nature and nurture played in that decision making of where their life has led them. Yeah. I find it absolutely fascinating because you've written this book, Reef and Beef. Kylie, tell us about writing the book together while living a 1,000 kilometres apart. It was a challenge, I can tell you. Um, we, we really have only seen each other once, Jackie, maybe twice. If I'm not sure. I think it's only once, actually, we've been together. So what we had to do was a lot of planning because we didn't – we've both written – the book's basically broken up into chapters of our lives and through stories we talk about all the advantages and disadvantages that we feel um, about being a twin and how that nature and nurture has affected us. And, yeah, but what we had to do was to make sure we didn't want people to feel like they were reading the same story twice, obviously. So we broke the book up into different chapters throughout our lives and we talked about significant events that occurred through our lives. So one of us sort of decided, well, you can write about this, this and this and I'll write about this, this and this. So that's how we sort of did it initially. Um, and then obviously when our lives separate, because our lives were so parallel um, right up until the police and basically probably until Jackie got married. And around that time she headed to the coast um, and I only a few years later headed out to the bush. So that's when our lives then take a fork and that's when the differences really started to happen because she was policing on a coastal town and I was policing out here. So, yeah, but basically that's how we sort of wrote the book and with lots of emails back and forward and we've done a million drafts and another lot of drafts and eventually we've got to um, the completed book. So where's it at today, Kylie? Um, basically, at the moment, we're 99.9% finished. Um, Jackie um, has a friend or a contact over um, near where she lives who had worked for a publishing company, so she's sort of helping us out by having a read through the book. And we're just doing those tiny little tweaks or whatever, and then we're going to try and get it published. Well, how fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll have to go through that process and... 
We don't know much about it, but we'll learn as we go and two heads are better than one, so we'll work <laughs> it out. Yeah. Well, I can tell you I've read part of it and it's laugh out loud funny. It's really funny. <laughs> no, it is. It is. It, Don't you feel sorry for our mother? Like, really? <laughs> when you said before, mum had four girls under five, that's when I felt sorry for your mother. I mean, that's <laughs> my mum had nine children under 12. So oh, wow. four, oh. under, four under five is pretty hectic as well. We wrote in the book that um, our mother, because um, our mum didn't have a washing machine, um, uh, sorry, hot water and only had the ringer washing machine and had the old clotheslines that just had, you know, a string of wire and some sticks propping it up mm-hmm. on the farm. And um, our eldest sister was only 16 months old when we were born. So as you can imagine, there was an enormous amount of nappies. And we lived in this sort of laneway and there was all these little farms around and so for fun, the neighbours would drive past and have competitions about guessing how many nappies were hanging on the clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. You know what's even better I don't about think that? my mum found it funny. No, no, exactly. But those were the days when you washed nappies, right? And and yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to those of you who are in America, we're talking about diapers, of course. Um, they would perhaps we wouldn't even know what a nappy is. Hey, um. Let's go back to the Camino. Carly, I'll stay with you. Take us through the actual, like, where did you start? How far did you walk each day? Did you stay in albergues? All of that kind of stuff. You might talk us through. Hello, Dan. Day one, it was a full-on Camino baptism. Um, I'd injured my leg training for the Camino, so I put a pair of crutches next to the wall, drove um, a full-day drive to get to my closest regional airport, uh, flew an hour from there to Sydney, met my twin, and then we basically flew from there to Dubai. Then we went to Madrid and then to Baritz in France. Again, I was just in awe when we landed there yeah. to think I was actually standing in France. Oh, my god! Then the next morning we had a private car transfer um, through the company that we'd gone through and our driver turned up and within five minutes we'd realised he had no idea where he was going because... Um, he sort of just looked very confused and half an hour later it was sort of confirmed when we went past the same place we'd started at. And so thank you to Jackie who got our Google Maps and we sort of tried to speak to this non-English speaking <laughs> French driver um, who incidentally had Kenny Rogers playing in the car. Yes. And I, I wrote in the book, I, I was expecting the can-can or something, not Kenny Rogers, but anyway. <laughs> So then we arrive, we've, we're on our way then in this private car from Baritz to get to um, St John de Port and as we're driving along, a car pulled out in front of us on this like freeway sort of a thing and literally we were almost involved in a very bad car accident and I said I discovered a new word for the French word we, I can tell you. <laughs> Then we arrived um, at our accommodation and the hostess was in a very cranky mood and didn't speak English, but that was okay. So then we got up on day one, quite excited to start the day, and I tell you, I was the most unprepared pilgrim in history. <laughs> I had no idea. I just sort of turned up and thought, well, I could do this and um, had done no planning. So we started up the mountain and, of course, I'd been waiting for rain at home for years and it started to come down. And it rained and rained and rained and 
it got so cold and I was just walking along just struggling and very clearly and very quickly it was evident my twin was much fitter and had had mountains to uh, train on. There's no mountains out where I live. It's all very flat. And so she was well ahead of me and honestly I was panting trying to stay alive, I think, and um, unbeknownst to me, I normally don't wear makeup, but on this particular day, for some reason, I think because Jackie wears makeup daily, I put some on just to be the same, but um, I didn't realise, but my mascara had run. So despite, um, along with this really bright red face and my painting, I had black surrounding my eyes. And you could see these poor pilgrims walk past me and sort of glance back and glance again. And are you all right? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm okay. Anyway, I finally met up with my twin at Orison who'd had a much longer rest stop than me. And then we continued up this mountain. And honestly, I thought if we climbed any higher, we'd meet God himself. And it got foggier and foggier and it was so thick and you couldn't see anyone. And I thought, where, where are all the other pilgrims? There's just us. What's going on here? And then all of a sudden I see something in the fog and all of a sudden I realise they're pigs and these pigs come running towards us. And on the farm here we had a pet pig named Pumba who used to take great delight in chasing you and if she bit you it would really, really hurt. So all I could imagine was this these pigs were like Pumba. So we've got our walking poles trying to protect ourselves and we were very, very unpilgrim-like because some other pilgrims came up behind us and um, the pigs sort of got distracted and caught their attention. So we just took off and left these poor other pilgrims to the pigs, which I felt very guilty about. And then we continued up and oh, then we came around a bend and we found one of those little vans that you see and in the pouring, pouring, freezing cold rain, we were standing there shivering, drinking cups of tea. Lovely. And I literally poured millimetres of water out of my shoe, kept going, and then we, we sort of got apart actually. And as we started to come down, back down through the, the woodlands there, the beechwood forest leading into Onsa Valleys, I um, honestly I thought I was in Shrek Swamp and um, my twin was gone. I had nowhere where I was and... Um, just battled and I remember thinking what the hell was I thinking like honestly a beach holiday would have been much better <laughs> but anyway I arrived at yeah I arrived um and I couldn't find my twin anywhere in Monster Valley's and I saw all these other pilgrims so I was just like a sheep and followed the mob and I lined up and I was freezing and I was on this long queue and I thought oh well my twin must have checked in and she'd be in a room and I waited might and finally I got to the front of the queue and realized I wasn't at the right place. Oh. So eventually my twin and I were reunited and we got to our, our accommodation, which was just beautiful, a heated palace. We are the princess pilgrims, um, I will admit that. And, um, yeah, then we finally re-met up. So that was day one and I, I just didn't know how I was going to continue the Camino at that moment really. But you did and it was this. I did. It was this incredible experience for both of you. And, Jackie, the. Camino brings pilgrims from all over the world and it brings them in very close quarters. Indeed, there are some some albergues where you sleep side by side with strangers. But it must have been wonderful to be drawn closer to the one person who's been closest to you your entire life. Did you think you could get any closer, Jackie? Yes and no, I suppose, but... Truthfully, I, I know you often ask at the end of your um, podcast a, a most memorable experience that you had and 
I can tell you one that I did have, and this is where we're going back to the closeness. Mm-hmm. When you get to, to the Cruz de Fierro, I don't know if I pronounce that properly, Dan. I'm, I'm not real good at. Um, Neither am I. We don't worry about pronunciation here. <laughs> yeah, the linguistics of it. But we all know where I am. We're up, we're up at there. And we took our, our rocks and I took a rock from Sawtell Beach and Kylie took her rock from the farm, out in the farm. We both chose it with our husbands. And we both knew we had a rock but we hadn't seen each other's rocks. And when we got up there that day, we left early to get up there and we were just so emotional and, and I think we touched on it earlier, um, being close with twins, often we don't need to speak and we know what each other's feeling. We just have to look at each other and we know exactly how we're feeling and up there was one of those days and we waited for our turn to get our photo under the cross and then we put our stones down and without realising it, Kylie's stone completely wrapped around my stone. And it reminded us of an X-ray that our mother got to confirm her pregnancy with twins. I know that sounds odd for probably younger listeners, but that's how they did back then. They would X-ray the mothers. And mum's got an X-ray of us curled around each other in the womb. And when we put those rocks down under the Cruz de Fierro cross and our rocks wrapped around each other, just like they did in our mother's womb, we were so emotional we didn't say anything much, but mostly I walked ahead of my twin as we've established. But the rest of that day, we just felt like we had to walk together for the rest of that day and be close to each other. Oh, golly, that is so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I was reading the book and as I said earlier, it's really funny. It's laugh out loud, funny in parts. You're, you're both quintessentially mm-hmm. Australian, the two of you. It's it's quite interesting for me. Jackie, I'll stay with you. Has humour always been part of your lives? Do you like to make each other laugh? Yeah, I think it's a family trait. Um, and our other two sisters together, when we're all together, I think we feed off on, it, on um, the humour with each other. Yeah. And mum says um, that was a, a very good, mum's uh, quite a serious woman, but Mum said that we, we get our sense of humour from our father, and our father was a very big practical joker as a kid. He always used to do things like put lizards and snakes in cars for people to frighten them and things like that. I think humour is good for human nature. I, you don't need to be so serious, even in serious situations, and even in the police, humour is what got us through a, a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, some of those really difficult jobs that you have to do. Yeah. Um, I did a death once of a, a lovely old lady and we were in the era of the first short police that came in and um, my, my partner on the day was grumpy because we had a, the bench seat so when I had to pull the seat forward to drive he had his knees up around his ears and he wasn't real happy about it. <laughs> so he said get out and, and he had to drive and the very first job we did was this um, concern for welfare for a dear old lady who the relatives hadn't seen and there was a tiny little window at the top up near the fascia of the gutter, right at the top. So he had to hoik me up and put me in, in through the window and I was thinking at the time, ah, oh, the short police might come in handy now. <laughs> anyway, in I, in I go and unfortunately I did find the old dear deceased and the senior constable thought, 
uh, I, I wouldn't be quite certain that she was deceased. And he was yelling out through the window, you know, how did I know? And I, I gave him my visual, what I'd seen, but he decided he'd come up through the window with me. So picture a boiled shelled egg going into the top of a milk bottle because <laughs> that's what he looked like. And I was trying to pull him from one end and the family were pushing from the other end and he flopped into the house like an egg would flop into into a bottle in a science experiment. And uh, that's what I'm doing about humour, that type of humour, even though the death of the old deer was very sad, the whole incident of him trying to get into the house was something you'd laugh about later. <laughs> so, yeah, I like, I like humour. <laughs> Jackie, I have to tell you, when I was organising the podcast, Kylie wrote to me to say, Dan, I'm out on the property. Um, we don't have mobile phone reception. I'm mostly working. Um, I can be difficult to contact. And I know that life on a cattle station is hard work. And she said, Jackie's most probably in a cafe or lying on the beach, so she'll be happy to talk anytime." time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just so great. I, I wish I'd had the chance to break bread with you on the Camino it would have been absolutely wonderful. Kylie, tell us about walking into Santiago de Compostela. I was sad. Um, oh. It was such a, it was actually a mixture of feelings. I was sad that it was over. Even though day one was a very difficult Camino baptism, I did gradually get fitter along the way and ended up keeping up with the rest of the pack. And I was very sad that it was sort of ending. It, it, it was such a beautiful beautiful experience and I didn't want it to end but at the same time I was really missing my husband and my three children and wanted to get home but I remember walking in together and and I don't think it was even intentionally planned but we ended up on our own we weren't with our group that was because our accommodation was at a different spot the last night which was a bit of a shame but we started together and we walked in together and we finished that Camino together side by side coming down, listening to the bagpipes and seeing all these excited pilgrims. And it was just magical, absolutely magical. And one of the things I loved the entire time we were on the Camino was pilgrim watching. I loved watching other people. It was really, really fantastic just to watch everyone else coming in and seeing the excitement and the joy and all the mixed emotions that you feel when you arrive at Santiago. It was just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is an amazing experience. And you're right, it is kind of sad. Jackie, Kylie introduced you to the Camino. Are you surprised that you found this love for the Camino and pilgrimage? No, I don't think I am, Dan. Kylie and I have both been quite spiritual people. I was surprised we found something so amazing and we yeah. both cannot wait to get over and do another pilgrimage. Kylie has always said she'd like to do it with her husband this time, who is a Catholic. My husband's um, not Catholic. He's agnostic. He doesn't even, he sits on the fence a bit when it comes to religion. And um, he, he doesn't think he would want to do it, although I think he would enjoy it in some ways. But I'd like to challenge myself and do it on my own without my twin this time and just head off and do it without that security that having my twin sister with me gave. I think I can do it on my own easily. I know it'll be sad not to do it with Kylie, but it'd be nice to be able to say I, I can do things on my own without my twin. And when we wrote the book, we didn't know how we were going to end it. And we said, well, one of us has to die 
or we have to do something momentous. So we decided that we'd rather the momentous type of uh, conclusion. So I think we've done that now. Our life hasn't ended and our pilgrimage won't end. We'll both continue to walk and follow that beautiful yellow arrow right through our lives. Oh, yeah. We will forever do that. And even now if you see a yellow arrow somewhere at an airport or a shopping centre, you have a little smile to yourself and it reminds you. Yeah. Um, You never forget it. You see a, a backpacker walking around with poles, I don't know, up where I am, I don't know, they're training for some walk or something, and I smile and think, I wonder if they're training for the Camino. Yeah. So it, it does it. It's, it's, it's ingrained in you forever now, and I will do it again on my own. I, I really hope to do it on my own again. Yeah, how fantastic. Toward the end of the book, Kylie, you wrote about walking single file, and you said not only were you walking in the footsteps of millions of pilgrims before you, you were walking in the footsteps of your twin sister, Jackie, who was walking ahead of you. I, I thought it was incredibly powerful. It was really lovely. And later you wrote about being in Carrion de los Condes and singing with the nuns you, after writing about the kind of sound of music. And you said, you cried and each tear felt like a sad memory from your life that was drifting away. I think it's wonderful yeah, that, that, that you I were know. able that you were able to let them drift away. I was able to let them drift away, and Dan, look, there's other obviously parts of our childhood um, that you may have read about in the book were quite difficult. Yeah, we had, you know, our early childhood was beautiful, and then our teenage years were very, very rough and challenging years, and then obviously in the police. We both experienced some very, very sad things and I often think that perhaps I've got undiagnosed PTS, I don't know. My children think I do for sure and I know being an ex-police officer has changed my parenting. And then obviously there's been a lot of hardships on the land as well and I think why I was away on that Camino, I was trying to let go of some of those things, try and get meaning and understanding to them and yeah, when we were sitting there with those nuns singing and they were just absolutely magnificent. I don't know, I don't know why, Dan, I just felt this warmth and this love and these tears started to fall and it's making me emotional now saying it. And um, I felt like as each of those tears were going, I was going to try and let go of one of those bad things that that I'd seen or experienced in my lifetime. And it was such a great... um, and moving moment for me that that night I rang my husband and said, I've got some news. I think I'm going to become a nun. Yeah. <laughs> what did he say? He, he uh, burst out laughing, but I don't know if those <laughs> ladies would have let me join their little nunnery because they had voices of angels and they generally did. It was like the sound of music. It was just beautiful. That's fantastic. And I always laugh that I can only sing notes that uh, the dogs can hear. You should hear me sing some of your songs, Dan, as I'm travelling along in the car. I'm only grateful that I am out in the middle of nowhere and no one can hear me. Oh, that is so funny. That is so funny. God, you're funny. Jackie, (laughs) I was reading the book and you wrote, um, there was a fork in the path. Uh, Unbeknown to me, my twin had walked to the right. I went to the left. While walking, I thought about my twin and 
our 50-year relationship, and I, I'm not sure why nature or God made two of me, but there it is. I do know that despite being an identical twin, I'm not a puppet. If you pull her string, my leg doesn't move. My twin and I were very similar as young girls, but we've grown in different directions. So let me ask you, Jackie, sitting in the cathedral on your 50th birthday, were the little girls close by? They were right there, Dan, <laughs> within us and without us. We, and as I said, when I went to the, um, the cathedral two hours before the Mass to make sure I got front front row, so a little bit of my personality was still uh, hanging around. <laughs> I got there, I wanted that front row seat. And as you know, they don't always uh, swing the big incense burner. It's a bit of luck or whether you happen, and plus they just had all the renovations on the church, but we happened to get there and it was open. And when the um, monks came in in their robes, I don't know if you call them monks, but the men that actually, you know, pull the, the incense burner, we both just grabbed each other's hands without saying a word and squeezed each other's hands and realised how close we really were because we didn't have to say anything to each other and it was the most emotional. That was one of the most emotional things for me, having that incense burner waft over us in the church and it felt like it was a bit of freeing some of the past, letting go and, and moving forward. I think you two are just fantastic. I, Like I said, I wish I'd met you on the Camino. I would have loved to have broken bread with you. And I know that, well, I mean, there's just a million stories to tell. The book is fantastic. Um, it is brutal at times. And I imagine you two, and, 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 and perhaps you might stop me or correct me, but you've had not an easy life. It's not been easy for, for either of you. Dan, who has had an easy life? Y- yeah, but let me say this to you, and perhaps I'll, I'll pose this question to you first, Kylie. Um, would you have had it any other way? No. What about you, Jackie? Definitely not. Now, Dan, you know that movie, um, he's the guy, he's on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I've forgotten the name of the movie. Um, he's in India. Slumdog Millionaire. That's it. Well, that's a bit like our life because a lot of the things we dealt with in our life that we, we came across have actually helped us in our life. Um, having a father that was an alcoholic and domestic violence incidences uh, helped us in the police. Um being thrown out of the house and living on the street for a night or two when our father had one of his rages. Well, we were able to connect with those children when we were working, walking the beat in the police. Um, things like that. So any experience you have, and Kylie and I both believe the experiences you have in your life, you can use as an excuse to have a good life or a bad life. And we choose to have a good life. And we're going to move on forward and keep marching and nothing that's happened in the past is going to stop us having the life that we want for each other. How fantastic. I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, Kylie Fisher and Jackie James, even the names, the married names. 
combine seamlessly, <laughs> don't they? It's amazing. <laughs> Before we finish, I want to say thank you um, for taking the time to talk to me and congratulations on the book. I, I really look forward to the day when it's on shelves because it's a terrific insight into living as a twin, uh, living a unique life, um, a very Australian life. It's, as I said, it's very, very funny. And thank you both for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I look forward to catching up face-to-face at some stage. Hopefully it's the both of you together and we can share a bottle of wine and have a good old-fashioned laugh. Wouldn't it be wonderful? In the meantime, buen camino, Kylie. Buen camino, Jackie. Buen camino, Dan. Buen camino, Dan. Thank you so much. My guests this week were Kylie Fisher and Jackie James. Remember the British writer and poet Christina Rossetti, who wrote, For there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather to cheer one on the tedious way, to fetch one if one goes astray, to lift one when one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands. Thank you for your company this week and every week. You might like to tell someone about the podcast this week. Reach out to another pilgrim. Tell them... I don't know if you've heard this before, but you might like to have a listen. I'd appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere